Today we uh, conclude our sermon series, Generosity Challenge, and over these past weeks we've been talking about the way God is calling us, challenging us, inviting us to be generous with ourselves, our spiritual gifts, our talents, and especially our financial gifts. And over these past weeks we've heard some powerful testimonies, amen, thank you Sharon again this morning. Uh, We've also read some beautiful devotions over the last four weeks. Uh, We've received mailings and received our commitment cards, and it's been a a wonderful journey. And on this amazingly beautiful day, we now come for Commitment Sunday. Uh, Over these past four weeks, we've looked at some fascinating stories and scriptures about generosity. Several weeks ago, we looked at Genesis chapter 1, being reminded that we're created in God's image. God is generous in creating the world, amen? And in turn, we are called to reflect God as we are created in His image, to be generous to others. And then uh, several weeks ago, Pastor Clayton preached on the ten lepers. One was returned to Jesus, fell before Jesus with a deep commitment of gratitude for his life had been transformed. He knew that. And though they'd all been sent to the priest for reentry into the community, this one came and offered a deep sense of gratitude, reminding us that part of being generous is being grateful. Amen? And then last week, We talked about prayer, and we talked about the importance of prayer being our foundational work, our foundational guide uh, for being generous. And we talked about the gift of Abram answering God's call to go to a land he did not know. And we also talked about Jesus calling disciples or apostles or followers after being at an overnight prayer vigil, right? And the importance of prayer. And we, I think we all agree prayer is important, amen? Uh, and we can pray for things and we pray for people. But remember last week, we, we talked specifically about the intentional prayer of listening, of taking a moment, not asking, but receiving. God, what do you want me to do? God, where are you leading me? God, how do you want me to change? I don't know about you, that silence was a little unnerving this week, kind of convicting. I've, I've, I've heard some clear things, much like Sharon did, about what needs to happen for me, right? So that's an important part. Being prayerful is a part of being generous. Now today, we move into a deeper level of talking about covenant and faithfulness and lavish love. And what does all that mean for us as we commit ourselves to be generous? Will you pray with me? Holy God, as we hear the fountain behind me, we know that your love flows in so many places. As we hear that fountain and see the images of water, we are reminded of your abundance your generosity in our lives. And as we know the power of water to wash and grow and restore and clean, we come before you seeking transformation and renewal. This past week, God, some of us have spent intentional time. Where, God? What would you have us to do? How can we be more generous? And now, God, we come to this powerful story from 2 Corinthians of Paul inviting people to generosity. But we go to this story from Luke about Zacchaeus, and we move quickly to fun songs and childhood memories. 
but the story's really about transformation, salvation, generosity. Open our hearts, open our very selves, so that we might hear your word for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Last night, about over 30 of us, adults, youth, children, gathered in Libertyville at the Feed My Starving Children Center. You may have, how many of you have done Feed My Starving Children? Uh, for those of you who have not, Feed My Starving Children is a nonprofit Christian organization that invites volunteers in to pack food. It's a mixture of soy and rice and vitamins and other things that then come protein that creates a pack that can then travel anywhere, anywhere to feed a child and to bring strength to their lives. And they're transformative stories. If you've been there, the slides, the videos are powerful. They're, they're just amazing, right? They're amazing uh, gifts to people. And they're shipped all over the world, right? And locally. So they go to Uganda or uh, Nicaragua, Guatemala, uh, Sudan. All of these different places are served by Feed My Starving Children. It's just less than two hours of our time, right? But in those less than two hours, which fly by, frankly, uh, we do something pretty amazing, I think. And indeed, it brings life and transformation to children around the world. Last night, we gathered. And, you know, it was one of those beautiful days. So in many ways, I kept thinking, should I go? I mean, it's just such a beautiful night. And as I drove up Milwaukee from where I live to the Feed My Starving Children, it seemed like everybody was outside eating at restaurants and having a you know, and I kept saying, boy, I wish I were there. I wish I were there, right? But I, I knew Clayton would be mad at me, so I was convicted to be there. And as I arrived and sat on the bench and got the reorientation and then finally washed my hands and went into the uh, packing area. And, you know, I don't know what it is. Every time I kind of dread it, like, oh, I don't really have time for this. But the reality is once you're in it, it's amazing, right? Because you're, I was with a team of folks from Kingswood. Clayton was sealing here, Heather Schmidt on this side. Youth and children are packing. Other folks are in our team. And all of a sudden there's just this kind of rhythm and this excitement as you realize you're making a difference in someone's life, right? And so for that whole night, we just, uh, last night, we celebrated. We packed almost 60 boxes of food. Uh, we had an amazing night. We were thanked. It was just amazing, right? And I was grateful as I left, thank you, saying, as I got in the car, God, thank you for pushing me to be here tonight. Because by offering my time and, and offering this effort, I've made a difference in people's lives. Because, you know, we saw the video. You see that video every time of some child who's barely going to make it, and then the food comes and they're restored. And, and we heard very clearly last night from one of the directors that if we don't pack this food, if we don't send this food, these children might not live. Do you hear that? If we don't do this effort, these children might not live. And I don't know, maybe they've said it a million times, but last night I heard it differently. I heard this conviction that if we're not generous, if we're not sacrificial in our life and faith, people might not live. As we concluded, and we're about to go, Clayton prayed over the boxes, and we went in for the final kind of rally before they send you into the night. And Jeff Whitehead, who's one of the directors there, a member at Hope Lutheran, came up to both of us at our station 
And he said, I'm going to ask something of you because I know Kingswood will do it. And so I've made a promise on your behalf. I know you love that, right? <laughs> uh, he invited us to pray daily for Haiti. Now, Haiti's a small country in the Caribbean. It's the, uh, I think it's the oldest democracy on the Western side, though it doesn't reflect that today. Uh, I, I, it's also the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere and may have the most corruption of any country in the world. Haiti's never been an easy place, amen, but Feed My Starving Children has always had an inroad there along with the Methodist hospital called Grace Children's Hospital. So it, it's, it's extreme poverty. But Jeff asked us to pray daily for Haiti, and I'm asking you to do that because now that things are so bad, the port is closed, the food can't be received, and children are not receiving the food they need. And because of that, they may not live. It really impacted me. I mean, I don't know about you. I just, sometimes God does that to me. Like, I just realize how trivial I am about my life. And, and, and I miss all of the gifts and privileges and generosity and abundance in my life. Don't you do that? Like, I, I move quick to say, oh, I don't have this. Or this isn't going well. Or I'm going to gripe about that, right? But the reality is when I hear that story... God is calling me in the silence to something much more profound and something much more sacrificial. Amen? And so as we left last night and I walked into the darkness and got in my car and began to drive home, it just reminded me how this covenant, this lavish love that God offers to me, I must offer to others because if I don't, they might not live. That transforming power is found in the story today. And uh, first of all, just a wonderful reading from 2 Corinthians uh, of Paul speaking to the church in Corinth who've been reluctant to give to an offering for those in Jerusalem who are without food. And he reminds them that the Macedonian church, which is in great poverty and oppression, is, they're more generous than the Corinthians, right? I like Paul. He kind of does that competition thing, and <laughs> I could get into that really easily, but I won't today. But what I want to do, if you have your Bible, is uh, turn to chapter 19 in the Gospel of Luke. Luke is the third Gospel, and Luke also wrote Acts. And this story is only found in the Gospel of Luke. It's not found in Matthew, Mark, or John. It's one of our favorite stories if you grew up in the church, and it's about that guy named Zacchaeus. Uh, you know, he was a wee little man, as we heard. And uh, there's that song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. It's all very cute, Right? And he looks like a cute guy hanging in the tree, waving, you know, but it's not that at all. It's much more profound. So Jesus has just restored the sight of a blind man, and he's traveling. And as the scripture says in verse 1 of chapter 19, as you're following in your Bible, on your smartphone, or in the Red Pew Bible before you, Jesus entered Jericho. Remember Jericho, that ancient city where the walls came down? And as he was passing through the city, a man was there named Zacchaeus, and we all know Zacchaeus maybe if we grew up in the church, and then we learn this about Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was very rich. Now, we learn a lot about Zacchaeus in that phrase, right? So, he was a tax collector, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was very rich. Now, I, I know you know that tax collectors are probably not the most popular people in our current culture, amen? Amen. 
When I, I mean, when you get the Lake County or Cook County assessment on your property, you're not going, oh, yay, I'm so glad to receive this, right? You know? In fact, you might wince a little bit, or you might cry. I don't know, right? So tax collectors have never been terribly popular, right? I mean, if you've ever gotten an IRS letter, I don't bet you, I don't even open, I don't want to open it, right? So already, by the nature of his uh, job, vocation, He's not a very popular person, and especially in the ancient world, in this particular time frame, he was a tax collector for the Roman government. Remember, the Roman government is actually occupying his homeland, but he's gone to work for the occupying force to collect money to pay for the soldiers that keep everybody in line. Doesn't that sound like a great job, right? We know from the ancient world that tax collectors often collected money at all costs, especially if you didn't have it. And in many ways, they might even collect more than they should so they could stuff their coffers, and that sounds like something not very helpful, right? And then all of that says, yeah, he sounds like a tough guy, but remember, he's a chief tax collector, so he's over other tax collectors. So not only is he practicing this process, but he's training other people to do it as well. So you can imagine Zacchaeus was not a popular man, amen? In fact, according to the law, because he was, the Levitical law, because he was collecting money for this oppressing force and touching that money, he probably was unclean, and most likely, either because of his reputation, because of his job, or maybe literally ritual uncleanliness, he probably wasn't welcome at the synagogue or in the temple life. So Zacchaeus, though very rich, had very little connection, maybe. We don't know, but it seems that way by the way he acts. So you get a sense of who Zacchaeus is. So it's a little different than a wee little man in a tree, right, waving at you, right? So here's this tax collector, chief tax collector, very rich, and uh, he sees Jesus passing by, and he was trying to see who Jesus was. He had heard of Jesus. Remember, Jesus is Uh, had dinner and meals with tax collectors before. In fact, he called a tax collector to be one of his chief followers. His name was Matthew, right? So we know Jesus has a reputation for hanging out with these tax collectors. And so he wants to see who Jesus is, but on account of the crowd, because there were so many people, he couldn't because he was short in stature. And I love Zacchaeus for that because I'm not very tall. And uh, I like to, to relate to that. Uh, there's, it's interesting, the Greek, you know, the New Testament's written in Greek. It's most likely that the, that sentence means Zacchaeus was short. But there are a few biblical scholars who think the reference is to Jesus. And Jesus is short and Zacchaeus can't see him. But we'll go with Zacchaeus being the wee little man. Amen? Okay. So Zacchaeus is short, can't see Jesus because of the crowd. He really wants to see him, so he runs ahead of the crowd. He runs ahead of the crowd, and he climbs up in a sycamore tree. Sycamore trees are apparently very tall, and he climbs up in the tree to see him because Jesus is about to pass that way. Now, what's interesting to me is I just want you to think about we're already learning something about Zacchaeus' desperation. He's chief tax collector. He's very rich. He has all kinds of status, right, at least in the Roman Empire section, right, And yet he kind of embarrasses himself. I mean, think about it. If one of you were running along and climbed up in the tree outside because you wanted to talk to me, I would think things were a little off, right? Amen, right? Zacchaeus could have paid for something. He could have asked for something. He could have sent a telegram. He could have done all kinds of things. But he is so desperate to see Jesus, he climbs up in this tree because Jesus is about to pass that way. And here's what's fascinating. Jesus sees Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, he says, hurry up. 
and come down out of that tree, for I must stay at your house today. Things take a different turn, right? Zacchaeus just wanted to see Jesus. He'd heard about him. He climbs up in the tree. He thinks he's going to get a glimpse, and it's all over. Jesus sees Zacchaeus, and he senses that Zacchaeus has a desperate situation, and he says, Zacchaeus, get out of the tree. I'm going to come to your house. I'm going to invite myself to have a meal with you. So, in verse 6, Zacchaeus hurries down from the tree, and Scripture says he's happy, he's joyful at welcoming Jesus. And then verse 7, this is going to come as a shock to you, all who saw it began to grumble, grumble. And they grumbled and said, he has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. So, isn't that how it always is? Here's Zacchaeus, wants to see Jesus, does whatever he can. Jesus sees him. Jesus invites himself to dinner. Zacchaeus is so happy he can't stand it. He races home. He stops by Trader Joe's and gets some food. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and everything looks like this might be a moment of transformation. And the people, yeah, they grumble. Jesus is going to have dinner with one of those people? Now, you know the story is the story, right, for the moment. But you know Luke wrote the story for the church. Yep. You ready? The church often grumbles. I know that's hard for us to believe here. We never grumble here. Amen? But I hear in some churches there's lots of grumbling, lots of complaining. Somebody got more attention than I did. And especially when somebody who we don't think deserves restoration, we really are good at grumbling. So the crowd grumbled. They were mad at Jesus because he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus senses this. We don't have the details, but it's clear that Zacchaeus knows what people think about him. So he stood there and he said to Jesus, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. Half. Do you hear that? Half. And if I've defrauded anyone, which is highly likely, of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Now, you and I are a little bit impressed with that, maybe, right? Here, something's happened to Zacchaeus. Something's changed for Zacchaeus. Jesus has seen Zacchaeus. Jesus has invited himself to Zacchaeus' home. Jesus is taking some big grumbling from the church, right, you know? And so Zacchaeus responds. That's what happens when we experience that kind of love. Zacchaeus says, I'll give half of everything I own. To the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone four times. And what's interesting, if you look at Levitical law, which I'm sure you'll do this afternoon, um, you'll know that this is beyond the call of duty. 20% if you're compulsory, uh, more than that if you're not. But Zacchaeus is being extremely generous in response to the critique. And then hear this in verse 9. Then Jesus said to him, to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. I, I think we gloss over that quickly, but I want you to hear that. 
Jesus says that salvation has not only come to Zacchaeus, but to his whole household. We don't know exactly what happened, but maybe as his family and his wife and his children and servants, as they saw this generosity come from Zacchaeus, as they saw Zacchaeus changed by this seen by Jesus, loved by Jesus, transformed by Jesus, saved by Jesus, whatever they see here, whatever happens, the whole household is transformed. Amen? Something has happened here. And Jesus acknowledges that this is not just a Zacchaeus moment, but that whole family has been transformed because Jesus saw, Jesus loved, Jesus welcomed, Jesus ate with them. This is transformation. And then Jesus says to that crowd and to the listeners and to the grumblers and to the church, I have not come for those who are already established. I have come to seek and save the lost. Too often, we as the church, me included, think it's all about us. Amen? Well, you're awfully quiet today. It's about us. And certainly our relationship with Jesus and his transformative power And our salvation is critical, but too often we think it's about us when it's not about us. It's about the lost, the forgotten, those on the edge, the hungry, Haiti, Guatemala, El Salvador, Ukraine, our local neighborhoods, people who are homeless. Do you see what I'm saying? It's the folks that are hard for us to even be around. And Jesus is saying, I didn't come for those who are established. I came to seek out and save the lost. Amen? Amen. And so, as we think about this story, we realize that our mission to love God, serve others, and build sacred community certainly is about our relationship with Jesus. But how are we sacrificially committing ourselves, our gifts, our generosity for the sake of others on the margins? Amen? Right? Several weeks ago, I did a wedding for Taylor Barrett. So I don't know if you know Taylor. He grew up in this church. He and Nicole were married in Wisconsin a few weeks ago. And uh, Taylor has been on staff. He's been a volunteer. He was involved in the youth group. And he's just a great guy and deeply committed to Jesus. And we were talking. That's the kind of wedding it was. Like, you know, he has time to talk to the pastor. That often doesn't happen at the wedding, right? Uh, But he had lots of time. And we were sitting at a table chatting, and, and he said, oh, I, I love Jesus. And he said, I love the church, and I love Kingswood. And I said, well, what are, what are the things that you really love? And you know what Taylor said? I thought it'd be my preaching maybe, or maybe the Sunday school or youth ministry or the choir, not to be, you know, I mean, I'm sure we're all good people, right? But he said, you know what was really transformative for me? The trip to Guatemala. You may not know that. Before the pandemic, we had a mission relationship. We went to Guatemala almost every year to build stoves or a water tower. I mean, we did all kinds of things. I said, Guatemala. Yes, Guatemala. I've been three times, he said. He said, I'd go tomorrow if you'd let me. He said, there's something about being with folks who have nothing that reminds me of what I'm called to do. And he said, I experienced Jesus there more fully than anywhere else. That touched me. It's like listening. What are you asking of me, God? 
Then this past week, I had coffee with Kaylee Gerhardt. She's a young adult woman in our church, grew up here as well, teaches kids at an elementary school in Palatine. She asked to have coffee. We just were chatting and visiting. She said how much she loved the church. She loves Jesus. Uh, she studied, and I said, well, what was really transformative for you? What do you think she said? Guatemala. She said, I love all the rest. But she said, I experienced Jesus more fully in Guatemala. And this is what she said to me. You let me know when the next trip is, I'm on it. I'll do whatever I can to be in Guatemala. What does that say to us? What does that say to you? And what does that say about us as we come to make our commitments today? It says that Zacchaeus' story is about transformation. That's what this is all about, right? It's about sharing Jesus and inviting people into a saving relationship with Jesus to be restored from our sin and brokenness and our greed and our love of wealth and things and to be committed to that generous love from God and then to respond generously to others and to realize again and again that it's not about us. Oh, my word, it's not about us. It's not about us. It's about those who are not yet here. It's about those on the margins. It's about those who are not feeling included. It's about all of those places. And Jesus is calling us to look up and see and then do and welcome and eat and share and be generous so that the world can be changed. Amen? So, friends, as we come today, it's more than placing a card in the box or filling it out online or putting it in the wooden box or sending it in the mail or hiring a carrier pigeon to drop it off. I don't know how you're going to do it, but my point is that card just represents something much bigger. Amen? That says that you and I have experienced the saving power of Jesus. Amen? And that card represents that we want to share generously because we've been created to be generous because we're prayerful, we're grateful, and we are loved. And we want to share that generously, sacrificially with others. Because you know, if we don't, they may not live.